Welcome to the Podscape. What? Oh, yeah. You understand, baby? Dig it? Let me tell you another thing. First name John, last name Baker. Uh-huh. Brother. Hello and welcome to the Podski. I am your host, the man of a thousand gimmicks, John Baker. It is episode 51. It is a big week in the wrestling world and we are going to do Money in the Bank 2011. We got the Tooth and Nail group. We got Mongoose and Andretti in here. How are you guys doing this week? Well, I'm completely broken. Uh, I've been doing nothing but manual labor for four days. I've done fucking nothing with my actual business. I'm not happy. I had to go out to another Walmart today, a second Walmart, to get more plastic tubs to put in the garage because all the tubs I have are full of figs. And I've got too many figs. So now I had to go get more to put to separate the stuff that was open versus unopened. The dogs are driving me fucking nuts. I'm just running around like an idiot. I'm getting no work done. I'm very pissed off. I'm ready to just let fly. So let's let's go. Hit the record button if you haven't already. I'm ready to fucking go. <laughs> oh my mongoose, what's up? Uh basically I'm I'm in a place where I'm saying, you know, dig your claws into my organs, stretch into my tendons, bury your anchors into my bones, for the power of the warrior will always prevail. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. A big you're show. Welcome. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be a lot of f bombs. So you're going to have to decide whether or not you want to you want to keep that or you want to try to go through it and, and block them. But nope. we're just going to be no holds barred too, right here tonight. Say it up front. This is not going to be a kid friendly show. We're going to let it. This fly. Is a, it's a, a family show. This is a family show. But we oh. want to. We're going to be. You know, well, maybe maybe just the adults this time. <laughs> Yeah, and one one more quick one to just to to sort of provide a little bit of a harbinger for the Andretti uh, reign of terror that's about to come upon us. Another awesome warrior quote: "Now you must deal with the creation of all the unpleasantries in the entire universe, as I feel the injection from the gods above." What a great, great sentence! That dude is so awesome. You want to hear something funny yeah. about the Ultimate Warrior? When I was playing JV basketball in high school, I sent the Ultimate Warrior an email asking him for inspiration for our team, and that son of a bitch wrote me back. No, are you did. serious? I swear to God, he did. I swear to God, he did. He wrote me back and told me just to keep keep grinding away and keep doing what you can do and and try to try to fight hard and win win your life and all. It was it wasn't a very long email, but it was really positive. So I was thankful for that. And you know. What? really crazy about that is that whenever i was 16 ish 16 ish is probably around the time maybe 17 um i was really into going to his website all the time uh because he would have plugs for his um comic book and then he actually had like a bunch of like lifting and nutrition advice and information um, and so I stole a whole bunch of things from him that was like a sample of like your daily diet and he's eating like reduced sugar, peanut butter and you know what I mean? Like all these things. And so I tried to eat like the warrior for a summer at one year. And, and that and that kids is how you get really jacked by eating mm -hmm. sugar free peanut butter. You're going to look right. like the ultimate warrior or moving <laughs> into a house. That's how you get jacked, too. Yeah, I've done nothing but manual labor for four days. I've been covered in sweat for four days. I haven't lost any weight. I haven't gotten jacked. I don't know why anybody lifts a weight ever. It's a waste of time. Be an adult. Grow up. 
Quit exercising. Quit exercising. I got a whole bag of chicken patties I'm going to fire up here in a little bit. <laughs> oh, my. Well, that is a perfect segue into our show topic today. The show topic is obviously, as we mentioned, it's Money in the Bank 2011. And we're doing this show because this Saturday, AEW Collision is kicking off. And it is the return of CM Punk to AEW. Uh, that's going to be CMFTR, which is FTR and CM Punk versus uh, BC Gold, which is Jay White and Juice Robinson. And I believe there's a couple others that are joining in there, too. Uh, so that's the whole reason we're doing the show. We're trying to get a little uh, give a little love here to Uncle Phil and Uncle John. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be an awesome show. It's episode 51. So, Mongoose. We, we definitely have different takes on punk, and I've definitely changed my stance on CM Punk. So, I think we're going to get a lot of a lot of different opinions on this uh, on this whole situation here coming up. I think, I think that this is going to be awesome because I, I, I just – I think that we've – talked about this a few different times in a few different shows where we've we've taken interpreted things in slightly different ways which is great because as much as i like all you um it it can't be good audio just listening to people high five each other the whole time um you know what i'm saying and so yeah. uh, like especially if i'm thinking about recent history where you know we got into some some good and healthy debates on like the bloodline storyline and the roman reigns championship and stuff like that to be able to you know sort of octopus this out into different different areas of wrestling, especially contemporary wrestling is really cool uh, because we can argue historical stuff all day long, but like to be able to uh, continue to weave that into the modern day is awesome. So you, you teed me up, John, you, are you ready? I am. Give us a, what, what does 51 mean for us? Okay. So here's a couple of things that I need to go through. The first of which is 51 is the uh, number that I wore in high school. It is the number that I have um, then just attached to every like, you know, little email address and everything that I've had since I was like 16 years old um, for no good reason other than um, Big Phil Mayer, uh, who was a uh, he was an upperclassman whenever I was a young fellow. Shout out, Phil. Uh, I know you probably don't listen to wrestling podcasts, but if you do, uh, I idolized you as a lifter whenever I was 13, and that has never left me. Um, he, had, he had the original screen name on AOL Instant Messenger, Papa Pump 51, uh, because he had these really big biceps. So he, um, you know, he was one of the first people I knew that like jacked a wrestling name like that, and I thought that was awesome. So shout out to you, Phil Mayer. You were an inspiration for me. If you want to look at synchronicities here in the universe, uh, Phil Mayer is the genesis of 51. 51 is the episode number, and 51 is the episode where we talk about Phil Brooks. So did anyone think that we were connect? Uh, we were going to connect Phil Mayer to CM Punk? I don't think so, but I just did so. So shout-outs to Phil. If yeah, just because at... of the John Mayer, Phil Mayer. Right, yes, <laughs> yes, go. yes. Body is, dude. His body was a wonderland. <laughs> Who feels? Uh, so we would. And I know. Yeah, yeah, dude. His arms were huge. That's what I was just putting putting over that he was a he was a big time lifter. Hey, in the I'll, evolution I'll, I'll days, see. Man. I'll see your Phil Mayer, and I'll raise you. I'll raise you a uh, one four stills Ranger legend, Keith Papson. Shout out Keith Papson, older brother of Jeff. Great dude. Good player. Good lineman. Hashtag Keith Papson forever. And Eric, Eric. 
Eric is in my um, Eric is in my Hall of Fame of human beings. I absolutely I love Eric, man. I spent a lot of a lot of days whenever I first came to South Central PA, crushing wings and talking basketball with Eric. So uh, yeah, the, look at this, man. All right, so to get into the gimmick here, really quick, um, fifty-one is interesting because the meaning behind the number is uh, that it is a, a reminder that you are always in control of your own destiny. Also symbolizes leadership, courage, and strength. So doesn't that make all the sense in the world that your boy just picked that one? In control of the destiny, baby. Ultimate warrior style. Load the spaceship with the rocket fuel. How did, um, that, that really was organic, what just happened there. Yeah. yeah that was, was organic. <laughs> Dude, now check this out. Now, not only is this episode 51, it's coming out on June 15th. And... Those that read the the texts correctly know that we read forward and backward. So to get a mirror of 51 on 15 is pretty crazy. Another thing that we can do is if we reduce down numbers, which is a common practice. So if we have these two-digit or three-digit numbers, we reduce them down. 51, 5, and 1 is going to be 6. 6 in numerology is going to be considered the most powerful. It will represent Venus a reunion between partners. So we have Bill Walsh building a champion, dude. Like, it's, Look at the, the union between partners. And while that may signify romantic love, I feel like the union built between the partners on this podcast has been just on a meteoric rise and that will continue to uh, solidify itself through the audio that we weave here today. Now, speaking of reducing down, we can also take a six. And wow. wow, and we can also take a six. And if we take a six and we break a six down, do you know what we have, John? We got two threes. We do have two threes and three, three being a master number. Okay. Uh -huh. Especially whenever we look into the Masonic traditions, 33, the highest degree in the Scottish Reich, 33 implanted all over, not only the architecture and um, you know historical documents within this country, but woven throughout the world, especially in your uh, probably like uh, your your post Renaissance ish, post Middle Age uh, Europe in through today. Uh, three three is all over the place and everywhere. And I'll tell you what, man, there's a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of webs to weave coming from this uh, five and one that we're working with right now. So I think we got a special episode on our fingertips. Wow. All organic. None of it's planned. We're flying by the seat of our pants. Spaceship is full of the rocket fuel. We're going to the moon. All right. We're taking, where are we going next here? Birthday, birthday time. Birthdays. Yeah, birthdays. Let's hear these birthdays. You know, guys, um, people say that the most perfect tag team doesn't exist, but it's Buzz Sawyer and Peter Avalon. Happy birthday, Buzz and Pete on Thursday. You guys deserve it, man. Happy birthday. And happy birthday to him. I don't care. Good luck. That is Pete Avalon. Yeah, put Pete Avalon over really quick. Uh, we went to the Full Gear after party at, uh -huh. after Full Gear in 2019. Uh, advertises being a bunch of wrestlers are going to be there. You get to meet and greet and hang out and everything. And um, pretty Peter Avalon showed up at that place. 
uh, and took pictures with everybody, uh, multiple pictures if you want to one with him and then one with your group and all that. He stuck around, man. He mingled the whole time. He was entirely, entirely approachable, very cool. And so I, I always have a special place in my heart for Peter Avalon and just his most recent uh, television appearance, that little uh, spiel that he had with Jericho. I thought that that was really entertaining. Peter Avalon, you're a good dude. Yeah, you know Happy what else is great about Peter Avalon? I've seen that guy wrestle outside of AEW where he's not a geek and he's pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. Huge shout out to Peter, uh, pretty Peter Avalon. He was absolutely awesome at that after party, even though they, we won't bury the after party right now, even though it, it was a terrible after party, but he was a bright spot in that crowd there. He was awesome. Hey, let's, let's put over Buzz Sawyer too, man. Really easy guy to work with. Always a great, easy guy to work with in the ring and with, you know, booking and everything at, uh, you know, that Buzz Sawyer, what a, what a, what a really good dude we lost whenever he passed. Right. Tom's cousin. Tom's cousin. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're doing we're doing well here so far. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, also, I got the new mic. I got the new mic fired up. I've been teasing it. So, look, it's long-term booking. It's long-term storytelling, right? I've been teasing the new mic. It was in storage since inception of being on the Posky. I got it fired up in front of me right now for the first time ever. I probably sound unbelievably good right now to the to the people who are listening that probably sound just delicious even if, if you want to use that word so this new mic you know used it for the first time when i plugged it in and i couldn't get any audio and now we're working with it man because i you know wait till the wait till you're five minutes late to start trying to do stuff that's how i do things hey sometimes the bell rings and you gotta call it in the ring you gotta call it in the ring that's what it is absolutely workers work man uh, yeah, this was a topic that we wanted to talk about last week. Didn't get to it, uh, but it, on Tooth and Nail. So uh, we definitely want to put over Tooth and Nail. I did mention the Tooth and Nail group. Uh, we did have our the very first episode of Tooth and Nail, and uh, I thought it went really well. We did the Dominion review, uh, which I thought was great. I thought that show was great. Uh, we also talked uh, about uh, beautiful, or I almost said beautiful Bobby Winters. Uh, we should talk about him. But <laughs> we talked about superstar Billy Graham, and that was an awesome segment. Uh, a shout out, Uncle Jamie. He gave me a huge. He he let me know that that was an awesome segment. Oh, good. Got, I'm glad to hear that. That's good. Yeah, he loved it, and I thought it was a great show. I can't wait to see what uh, what you guys do for uh, future episodes on that. Uncle Uncle Jamie and I are McDonald's brothers, dude. Yes, we're, we're we are cosmic brothers in the McDonald's super universe, man. Me and Uncle Jamie for sure. The perfect tag team. So we we bonded over McDonald's and Chris DeGarmo from Queensryche. So I'm all in on this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the topics that we didn't get to on that show is we wanted to talk about these new WWE belts. And the biggest thing that stood out to us uh, is so there's, there's four new belts, all the main belts uh, that WWE has there. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see them here now. Uh, this new men's, I, I, before I get into a little bit of them, the, they're, they're using this undisputed term a little bit too loosely. I feel like, I feel like their definition of undisputed and the rest of the world's definition of undisputed are two completely different things. Yeah, it, it doesn't jive. They might, they might as well have named one Bart, one belt, the Mars world championship. <laughs> like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make you're of course, who wants to be the champion of Mars? I guess anybody can be right. Because, you know, to say that 
you're the undisputed champion when there's literally another champion of the world doesn't make any sense at all. That's that is quite disputed. Really, really, yeah. There's a, there's a built-in dispute right into this thing. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and one of the biggest takeaways that we've brought looking at these belts is that this this new undisputed belt, both men and women's undisputed belts. So Roman, they combined the black and the blue strap into this gold version of the WWE Undisputed Championship, which if you're on YouTube, thank you for checking it out. Uh, you can see that on the screen now. Uh, sorry if you're on strictly podcast platform. Uh, I, we can't help you any that we can't help you there. But one of the things we picked up on this instantly is that it's literally a carbon copy of the Snoop belt, the the Snoop Dogg belt from WrestleMania that everyone was carrying around in belt hell. Uh, like they just did a carbon copy of that and put a different strap color on it. And I, like, where's the creativity anymore? I like it. I actually like it. I like the gold, the gold belt. And I really, you know, but it might, it's, could it already be nostalgia for the Snoop belt? Cause I, I really, I really liked the Snoop belt. And now I kind of like the new belt. I know it's, it feels so unoriginal, but I like it. It, it feels like it's lazy, that they just did a carbon copy of it. But I, the more that I look at it and the more that I see it on people, the more I, the more it's growing on me, but I, I am a little the look. If the look with the that gold plated background is way better than the dark black round and just the jewels with the gold plating on the outside or whatever, I absolutely co-sign it. And it's a thousand times better than the red belt or the blue belt. So, you know, 2000% agree. The, the issue that, again, I just, I can't get over that there's a men's and women's undisputed champion and then a men's and women's world heavyweight champion or world champion. I, I just, I'm, I'm just completely mind blown that they have undisputed on both of these belts whenever there's literally other belts still in the company on different shows on other top people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. That's I, I, yeah. The the look and what I do actually like a lot is that the aesthetic of the two belts is different. They didn't just change the strap color, so I thought that that was cool. They took the branding off of it for shows, which is great because then they could move from show to show or whatever if needed. Um, and I also really like the fact that they copied the uh, women's belt, um, the uh, Oscar belt, to look like the Roman belt and then the Rhea belt looks like the uh, Seth belt. So, you know, I do, I do the, like the fact that the aesthetic is, is keeping in line there with your two world champions. It's just, again, last time I'm going to say it, how are you undisputed if there's literally another champion for both sides? Yeah. That's strange. It, it, it is quite strange. And especially well, whenever you had, especially whenever you have the, uh, the universal moniker already there like to be the champion of the universe is still better than being the champion of the world but at least you 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 know you're recognizing that this is a big deal yeah. um it's, it's just fascinating man just fascinating branding from a company that usually does branding pretty good yeah i don't like the name flipping around it's just i don't know it's just a just starting to drive me a little nuts here with the choice, like the name choices. I, I like the look of the belts. I wish there was a little more creativity in them, but I mean, it is what it is at this point. 
it's the world we're living in it for sure. Yeah, uh, even, I mean, and you look really quick like the, um, you know, because we had had a discussion before about the, you know, them throwing the WWs on there all the time and everything. And you, you nailed it, the, you hit the nail right on the head is that, you know, we have NBA jerseys and things like, you know, have Wish and PayPal and stuff like that on NBA jerseys. So it is the way that it is, man, is that that the, you know, corporatization of everything is what is going to be most important. And anybody that buys one of those, of course, you're going to walk around just to literally sell WWE selling the fact that people are spending a couple hundred dollars just to advertise their company. Um, so, yeah, I get all of it, but I, again, the it's the branding. Last I said last time, and I had to say it one more time. Yeah, it, it's it, the the flip flopping back and forth between world universe now undisputed. It's quite disputed in my opinion, but um, and unify them again sometime, and then we'll break them I apart guess, again. And... I guess for me, it's just what is the lineage like? How does the lineage look? How do you mix them together? How do how does how does the belt lineage continue? So is there just like a gap from whenever they had big gold? Now it's back to this belt that Seth has now, and then they're just going to continue the WWE with the undisputed belt. No, or? I think that belt that Seth has is a brand new brand new lineage. Mm, I don't know. I, if I, I do. I do agree. I and maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and they rewrite their own history all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's that's probably it. I mean, Mula technically was the women's champion for 35 years or whatever because they just didn't have a women's championship, and then they brought it back, and it was her. So you and, know, there's wrestled zero that, times. Right, right, right. She just collected yeah. all all everyone else's money. Yeah, yeah. We can get into Mula another day if we really yeah. want. To. It's an interesting story. It'd be a good one to cover at some point. Yeah. Not all bad stuff, man. Not all bad stuff with her, but with her, there's, there's, that's, that's an interesting, an interesting character for sure. There needs, there, did they do a dark side on Mula? They did. That's what I thought. Yeah, they did. And there's also a really good write up on her story in, um, I believe it is the book is called The Squared Circle. Um, it's one of the guys, I can't remember his name off the top of my head who the author is, but he does the Masked Man podcast on the Ringer Network. Okay. Um, it's his book. It's really, really good. Uh, just like a, you know, sort of basically like a, a history lesson as far as, you know, carny days up through modern day wrestling and some of the major characters and things. And the Moolah section in there was fascinating. That was where I ended up learning a lot about her. Um, you know, she was just somebody that I had seen getting powerbombed through uh, tables by, you know, Billy Ray Dudley or whatever uh, for a long time. And so to actually, you know, hear that, uh, that she made up a Dudley little... brother. I'm, I'm proud of you for that. Was it, what's his name? Bubba Ray? Bubba, Bubba Ray. Ray. Yeah. Bully Ray is what Bully, Bully Ray is what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, we don't like him. Yeah, fuck you, Bully Ray. Yeah, he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of hot opinions that aren't very aren't very good with uh, with right. the wrestling business. Yeah, amen. Oh my! Well, speaking of something that Bully Ray will hate, uh, we're gonna plug uh, AEW Collision this weekend. Uh, there's really nothing a lot to talk about this show. They don't have a lot posted. There's only two things that are posted for it. So we got the CM Punk return with CMFTR versus Bullet Club Gold. And we have Miro returning. So outside of those two things, there's really not a lot to, <laughs> I wish there was, I'm sure we're going to get a lot more tomorrow uh, on dynamite. Or if you're listening to this, obviously when this comes out on Thursday, it was last night. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot more that comes out uh, and, and what to expect on that show. But I have pretty high expectations for this show. 
if if they're going to do the nitro theme with the logo i hope it looks like nitro in some way i don't even care if it's a fucking carbon copy or ripoff i don't even well, care. i want to see the city street with the with the uh manhole yes, cover yes. blowing up absolutely and and if eric bischoff hates that he can he can fuck off I'll, I'll say that for everyone else too because he's got some really bad takes as well because even though he hates that you know aw is essentially ripping off wcw and quote unquote his creation um like it's nostalgia and that's what gets people invested and that's what gets people engaged into watching the show so he's all about doing that controversy creates cash that's literally his fucking line so why not do this why does he hate this <laughs> is it because Khan doesn't want to pay him yeah, well, no. i mean the the reason the reason that he hates it is so that people will, will take his sound bites and clip them up and then hopefully direct traffic to his podcast that's the that's the main thing i i refuse to believe, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I refuse to believe that that um you know that he could that he could be that doltish about certain things like that. Um, which is also one of the reasons that I that was whenever that that pod first started. I was I was really into it. Um, yeah. and he he wore me right out, man. It took about two and a half three months. Um, and it was you know it was basically it was one of those deals where uh. You know, he's a he's a worker in a sense that man, he's gonna put himself over. And that was a that was it. You know, like dispute every single thing that ever comes out contraire to whatever the thing that you have to say or whatever the narrative that you have is and move on. So yeah, it's whatever. But here's the thing is with that collision show, man, is um and and just listening to some takes on you know observer radio and stuff like that in relation to the uh their contract their tv contract and all that this this sort of needs to be a home run um they they can't get away with this being another rampage um and the other fascinating thing with this is that you know they had initially you know they talked to punk whenever this whole thing started however long ago um and the fact that this is sort of tied to him, you know what I mean? Like they sort of tied his wagon to him is fascinating. And I am curious to see where it goes, meaning um, will he be willing to carry the company torch and take the credit for the success and the credit for the failure? Or is it something where if Collision has a hot start, and then starts to dip and starts to dip and starts to dip. Then, you know, we start one of the deals where he's, you know, eating a muffin again and burying his boss and blaming everybody else for everything that's going wrong. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see what, what happens with all that. I think for me, I think that Tony has already talked about, he said it today and we're recording this on Tuesday, the 13th. Um, they, he had said, I can't remember. I think it was Sports Illustrator or something like that mentioned that they were doing a brand split, but it's not a hard brand split and that he wants superstars to, well, they're not superstars in AEW, but he wants people to be able to float back and forth in between two shows. And I think that if you're going to keep somebody like CM, you need, you need to have heavy hitters on your Saturday show to make it relevant. And that's what they quit doing with Rampage. They just bastardized it after time. And only be, and that was in a really shitty time slot. It was going to be really hard for them to succeed. To well, they succ- tried to put stars on there, and people still were watching it. Yeah. And, and, and the, well, the big problem with it was was once they started to treat it like a B show, 
everybody figured out that they didn't need to watch it. And then it didn't matter who you were going to put on there. People weren't going to come back for it because right. everybody knows that every major angle isn't going to be shot on that show and anything that's worth watching, you can DVR and watch it later. You know, so, so, you know, that first episode was like 1.2 million people or whatever it was. And that was in that same terrible Friday night at 10 o'clock during the summer time slot. You know, it yeah. was, it, they just lost people over time because, you know, they didn't have a marquee of what people wanted to see. Uh, do I think that they're going to do that with collision? The answer is no. However, um, you're going to need two A shows and I just watched uh, eight to 10 months of the best WWE television that's been aired since the early 2000s, probably. And um, that's I, I saw a whole bunch of the same six people on the, the same show or on both shows. Excuse me. Um, that's not to say that you don't have people that are more exclusive to one or the other, uh, but it does mean that you're going to need to have people float, man. They as much as the brand split is a good idea. You don't want to, you don't want it to turn into something where, you know, you're having, you know, whatever your squash matches in the first hour, or, you know, that, you know, you're not going to have something that's worth watching at that time, especially because there's always going to be so much Saturday competition, man. You're going to have WWE pay-per-views. You're going to have UFC. You're going to have college football. Um, you're going to have whenever the seasons go back into the swing of things, you're going to have the NBA. You're going to have baseball games. There's always going to be other things for people to watch. And so to give them something not worth watching is going to be a bad idea. Now, here's another thing that's crazy that I that I never thought about about that um that was brought up i believe that it was an alvarez thing uh this week that i had heard is that you know that wwe loop right now like especially like the bloodline guys for example or sammy and kevin owens or whatever is you show up to tv on friday and you hit a house show on saturday or sunday or maybe even both you go to your next town for monday and then you're off again until friday mm -hmm. the fact that AEW is wednesday and then Saturday is tough. Yeah. So like if you're Wednesday in an East Coast city and then your Saturday is in, you know, Canada because they're doing that big Canada loop to start. Right. Um, what if you're, you know, what if you're John Moxley that lives in Nevada? Yeah. So like, are you, are you going to fly out twice with, with you having a wife that works there too? with with a kid like that's part of the reason that they were able to lure people and keep people happy at first was the schedule and that's going to be interesting to see what happens with that yeah and that, that's really i'm glad that you brought that up because that was going to be my point is that they were re really selling people that you only had to come to work one day a week and now that they're they're adding house shows they're adding a second show and th this could get this is really important for AEW because and, and i think it's one of the reasons why they brought somebody like jeff jarrett in and I think that that's whole the whole point of bringing Jared in was to help get this kind of stuff, the scheduling and the house show stuff going. So we'll see. It's definitely really interesting. I feel that, you know, they have to have good storytelling as well with people floating in and out. It just can't be, you know, static rosters. It's just going to get too boring too quick. And you got to make us all want to watch on a Saturday night, which is going to be really hard. And, and it's a really good point you brought up about you get a you get college football coming up and not a lot of people are watching baseball anymore but they're they got heavy heavy competition coming up in the fall and the winter months like that's going to be really 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 hard to keep up with um now, 
good thing for them, though, is that even though you have two more hours of programming the book, uh, first they, you know, they've said that you have uh, Daniel Bryan's in create or Brian Danielson rather is in creative. Um, Dot helps with creative. Um, there was a uh, 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 Jerry Lynn. Um, th- there's several people that are there that are on that creative team. Um, QT is another one. Um, and so to be able to have different people in the room um, to either pitch new ideas or potentially even take different direction with one show versus another could be really helpful. Uh, the most important thing is that they now have this TV uh, to prep your Forbidden Door show. So now all of a sudden, because you sort of get hamstrung by uh, Dominion being at the beginning of June, and then your Forbidden Door shows at the end of June, well, you just got yourself a couple extra hours where you can now plug some matches, set up some things, layer some feuds, and then going into the Wembley show and then all in, um, this can really help you set two separate superstar cards. Uh, So there's that too. Uh, Whether or not they take advantage of the situation is yet to be seen, um, but them running into this two hours, especially with the pay-per-view and then the Wembley show being a week apart from each other in two and a half months or, wh- or whatever, um, the timing couldn't be better. So we'll see what happens then after that. I'm hoping that this helps with the build for those, uh, but then what's really going to be telling is what happens between all in or in an all out and then full gear. Yes, because that's whenever you get into your fall sports with all the football and stuff like that. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I absolutely second everything you said about, you know, the that this needs to be a home run. And, you know, it's really great right now because you got a lot of show big shows coming up. And this is an easy way to get more TV time for people. Um, I think it's fantastic. I, I, it, I think it's the right timing as well. Uh, now that I, I feel like I'm coming back uh, to wrestling. And uh, took took my little hiatus. Uh, the Heat got their dick stomped in in the finals, but it's all right. You know, it's all right. We're gonna get. We're gonna end up getting Damian Lillard, and then everything's gonna be all right. You heard it. You heard it here first on the pods, Keith, folks. That the uh, that the Nuggets were gonna run with that in five. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I'm I mean, speaking about God. collision too. Like TK's already got heat with me about the music. I mean, I, they, they they missed the boat on Scorpions, um, Dynamite with the with the wednesday show and now they're going to miss the boat with collision and not using the faith no more song collision as the opener and he but he'll spend all the money in the world to help jungle boy for some reason <laughs> oh my dude, he, he, bought, he, he, he bought he bought orange a pixie song and a jefferson starship song man yeah he sprinkles it he sprinkles it where he where he sees fit it's a shame that it isn't for those entrance uh entrance themes for the tv shows yeah it, I hope that somebody like Jungle Boy stays on Dynamite and doesn't head over to a collision, but that's just me. He should Let's... be on a rampage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll uh, we got to do it. This is this is the CM Punk return show. We we did it a couple weeks ago. We're bringing it back before we get into the the meat and potatoes. Shout out, Fudge. Uh, the meat and potatoes of our show for Money in the Bank 2011, and here it is. It is 60 seconds of punk. Yeah, you know what it is. 60 seconds of punk. And we are one. Coming from the East Coast to the West Coast. 60 seconds of punk. Hard cut off. What? 
Okay, I'll kick us off here. And here we go. So uh, as I had stated before, I am very fascinated to see is CM Punk going to take ownership over this flagship show of his, even though it isn't particular or name brand um, for CM Punk. Uh, he is now becoming the face of it. Um, this whole brand split thing and everything is specifically a tool to bring him back and use him. And I do hope that he takes ownership over the successes or failures of the show. I'm hoping for a resounding success. I'm scared to death that it does not go well. And so then we see either less of him or then it becomes the circular firing squad of the entire roster. And so please, for the love of all that's sacred, take pride in what you got here, Phil. Show them what you got. Succeed when we need it. You need it. I believe in you. Bless you. Bless the child. Bless the child. Bless the child. You I have fifty five point nine on mine. I love it. I love it. Andretti, you wanna you wanna kick the tires on the sixty seconds of punk? Yeah, you ready? You ready for this? <laughs> Strap in, everybody. This is gonna be a good one. Let me know when to start here. All right, go. I got a quote here from uh, my boy John C. Maxwell, Teamwork One Hundred and One. Independence taken too far is a characteristic of selfishness especially if it begins to harm or hinder others. Seneca asserted, no man can live happily who regards himself alone, who turns everything to his own advantage. You must live for others if you wish to live for yourself. Boy, what a quote that is for CM Punk. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've come full circle here on, uh, on Mr. Brooks, and I know I advocated before on keeping him around. Um, my natural instinct as a person and as a former, as a former coach is to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I've gotten angrier and angrier with his performance and his behavior over the last couple months since everything went down. I guess it's been more than the last couple months. Um, you know, CM Punk idolizes Bret Hart, and he is the worst part of Bret Hart. CM Punk is a fucking clown, and there's no other, there's no other way to put it. Is there a more, is there a more sympathy-deserving person on this planet than CM Punk's kid? Can you imagine being that kid? Growing up where both parents are telling you over and over again how great they are or how great they were. They can kiss. They can both kiss my ass. They can both kiss my entire Slovenian ass, man. I don't give a shit about either one of them anymore. And I know people want to look back and they want They got rose colored glasses about AJ Lee in the ring. And they got all this nice things to say about CM Punk. But I'm telling you something. CM Punk fucking sucks. I bet you I bet you even Bret Hart dislikes CM Punk. And that's saying a hell of a lot right there. Look, man, that guy is a problem on the roster. He is a problem in the locker room. He can't get along with other people. If everybody else can get along, whether those people are right or whether they're wrong, if it's 99 people to one person, get fucking rid of Phil Brooks. Just get rid of him. There's your two minutes of punk. From me. Dude, perfect. That was it. No, listen. And I'm well, I'm glad, and I'm glad that that you went there, Andretti. So I I I pulled the cart before the horse the horse because the thing that I wanted to say during mine was that I hoped that he was going to be one that was going to take ownership over the collision show because they've tethered so much as it to him. Um, I am terrified that that's what's not going to happen. And here's the thing, man. Just as you had said, the biggest thing with this is uh are you going to are you going to get along or or are you going to not and so uh no matter what your personal views may be at the end of the day you're collecting a paycheck 
And so we've all had bosses and employees or excuse me, we've all had bosses or been employees for people or worked with others that we may not align with in all sorts of different aspects of life, man. This could be anything from faith to family to what food we like, right? But we get along to get along because that's just part of, it's part of existing. And it's part of existing in a uh, atmosphere that is going to be conducive to success of the entire group. It's part of adulthood is what it's part of. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to give too much away here from where we're going to go to whenever we get into the show. But I thought that this was fascinating pulled from the wrestling observer in 2011. This is the July 25th episode or uh, observer newsletter. Um, CM Punk did a uh, interview with GQ. Um, and that was then uh, sort of summarized by Meltzer in this particular issue. Um, and so he mentions, he talks about like the pipe bomb promo and why he had the Steve Austin shirt on. Um, I'm going to read this really quick. Okay. Uh, so this is called Mongoose Reads. This is a segment called Mongoose Reads to everybody. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, and this is a quote from him, a lot of people who are in charge, and this isn't a negative thing, are old. They have a wealth of experience, yes, but there's no youth that's involved in anything. The youngest people there are all performers. I don't envy their job, trying to get inside somebody's head and figure out who they are and what their character is. It's a nerve-wracking thing when you first get there. If you're like me, this is your dream job. You've worked 13 years to get where you are. The normal course of action is to keep your mouth shut, eyes and ears open, not stepping on toes. That's how you get ahead. A squeaky wheel gets the grease. If something sucks, I've always been completely vocal about it, and I've been punished many, many times because of it. I don't think I'd be in the spot I'm in now if it wasn't me. I've always been me. So fascinating that he says that because he is in the, you know, this is the old guard, right? This is the Vince. This is the Laronitis. This is in that. And so for him to speak, to, to say, I'm going to speak up in a place where nobody has a voice, I actually was like, you know what? That's a pretty powerful statement there and even though we were working that like work shoot kind of deal where he wasn't really going to be gone but they said he was going to be gone the fact is is that he was saying things that resonated with people that were either in the locker room or that were recently in the you know recently there or whatever here's what's fascinating though is that he then starts to talk about uh talent that's there um and the complaints about them looking externally for talent. Um, And he then goes to say, it's easy to shit on people from a great height, but it's another thing to pull them aside and try to impart knowledge. And I've been on the other side of the coin where I try to help somebody out and they blow me off like like they know everything. Excuse me. The thing that was interesting about that is, is that then 10 years later, 11 years later, He's complaining about people not wanting to hear what he has to say in AEW's locker room. And so here's the thing, man, is if you've been complaining for 10 years, 11 years or 12 years that people don't want to hear what you have to say, maybe it's not what you have to say, but it's how you're trying to say it. Because I got news for you, man. There's a way to help somebody and to deliver constructive criticism and help somebody grow. And then there's a way to come across as if like, you don't know what you're doing. Listen to me because I know, because then the natural human instinct thing there is defiance, right? And so the fact that we saw that resonate in the hangman thing specifically, uh, and then he's saying the same thing literally in 2011, 
I thought was really fascinating. And so again, man, whenever there's consistently issues that come up the same place over or the same in the same way over and over again, maybe it's time to look in the mirror. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Well, there was a CM Punk burial section, but I'll give you <laughs> seconds of punk praise. CM Punk. It was a rocky road. Sometimes we take the rocky roads, but it's all about getting to the other side. The grass will always be greener. And not always in every case, but in this case, it's going to be greener. We had a, we had a little, we were going through the rocky pastures there last year. Bygones are bygones. Everything is everything is fixed with time. Time heals everything. It is now time to come back, take ownership of this collision show, grab the proverbial brass ring, and let's fucking do it. Let's 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 go. We got a bunch of big shows coming up. AEW has been spinning their wheels ever since this whole thing happened. Is it your fault? It's not. It's not always. A single person's fault. It's everybody's fault collectively. We all understand that. It's time to put down our shields and our swords. It's time to break bread together. And it's time that we come together in a collision on Saturday night. And that's Ooh, my good close. Good close. And look, here's the deal, man. I I came late to the CM Punk party. All right. I was late to the CM party. And to be honest, when I really started watching full-time again was the rumble that he no-showed oh okay yes yes okay so that was that was really the the episode the the time where i because that was that was the um that was yeslemania right like that led up to yeah around is that the one 14 15 15 yeah something like that and um so i i i only was a tertiary fan at the time of his, the peak of his powers. And, you know, whenever I saw him then, uh, like I watched him, you know, the, the missus is really into um, like the real world challenge and everything. Uh -huh. I found him to be just over the moon, dislikable in the um, yeah. challenge thing, the challenge yeah. all-stars, right? I felt the same way. Yeah. Like I, he just, he just came across as just like, the, like a rotten ego guy. Now I also yeah, know came, that they he came paint, across as himself is how he came across. And and here's the thing, man, is they paint baby faces and heels. And I do know that too, that there's, that if they decide that, and if he wanted to play heel, then that's cool. But you go back to that, like, you know, and I believe that I said this on this show before, but when Dana White says that you're tough to work with, like, Dude, Dana White works with some of the most difficult people to work with in the history of the world. So like you, you gotta be something else, man. And so I don't, I'm with you, John. I hope that I do hope that all this works out and I hope that this is all good, but I'm scared to death that bringing it back again is going to, if things don't go well, is going to cause a lot of inner turmoil that can break the locker room and breaking a locker room ain't worth it, man. It's, it's not what you get. A, sometimes it's addition by subtraction. And I totally hope for your sake that it's true. But the, the worst thing about it is, is that he's going to have friends. He has friends. Yeah. He has other people in that company with power and pool that have friends. And so if we're going to start picking sides right again, everybody doesn't have to go out and drink beer together and hang out, but everybody's got to be able to get along for the time that they're there and like where they work. And that, that's the scary thing with that, man. 
Yeah, it is scary. It is terrifying. It's 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 horrible. Anybody who's ever been in management knows how difficult it is to massage people's egos and keep things running on a day to day business. Man, it's it, it's not it's not fun. It's not fun to do that, and especially for someone that um, doesn't has never really had the experience dealing with egos the way that these guys have egos in a sport that isn't real, right? And they still have insane egos that he that, that Tony Khan's got to deal with, man, and. Look, it's it, it really comes down to me, for me, just, you know, you rally around the people that want to be there. And if FTR says, we're leaving, we're going to WWE, or, or CM Punk leaves and goes to WWE, who gives a shit? They're already making so much money and making so much more money than what you're making. It doesn't matter. It's not a competition. If you look at the numbers, there's no competition. So if they lose CM Punk to WWE, and you know what they're going to do with him in the WWE? They're going to Scott Steiner his ass in the WWE. They're going to bring him in. They're going to feed him the Miz. He's going to beat Seth Rollins, and then he's going to get fed to Roman Reigns. That's what's going to happen to CM Punk if he thinks he's going to the WWE to make to get a big run. He's going to go in there. He's going to get a couple wins over their guys like Ziggler, Miz, Rollins, the guys that they know they can rely on, maybe even Cody at that point, and then they're going to feed him to whoever's the champ, which should probably be Reigns, you know, hypothetically. But that's right. what it is, man. That guy, that guy's not, he's not going to bring so much to the table that you need to have that person in your locker room. Just fucking get rid of him. And look, and, and let me let me say this. If the if the internal decision was made that we're going to give this guy one more shot and we're going to deal with the bullshit one more time, I don't agree, but fucking whatever. Go do it. If you want to go do it, go do it. But I'm telling you right now, and I would make it very clear if I was Tony Khan, you know, with every, all the agents and everybody else, the people in the inner circle that he works with, if there's any problems, he's fucking gone. FTR can go with him. I don't give a shit. We just signed Aussie Open. We can build tag teams. You build around the core that wants to be there, and then you just get rid of all the other assholes because that sends a really powerful message whenever you're willing to cut bait with somebody that you think is a numbers driver. Just get rid of his ass. And bring in people who want to be there that want to be a part of something and tighten up your own ship. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the, the hard part is that you, what everything that you're saying is not wrong. It is 100% right. And uh, I just hope that we all can have hope that it all works out. And then, well, and yeah, and dude, like I, the, the, I think that the most valid comparison is, and I believe we said it on, on this show previously, is that. To, to me, this is a lot like 2002 NWO. Dude, everybody and their mother likes Kevin Nash like because Nash is a cool dude. Yeah. Nobody liked to work with Kevin Nash over, over the, the time where he was, you know, he had, because that same reason that he could schmooze everybody into thinking that he was a cool dude, which by like universally, dude, everybody's like, oh, dude, big sex, he's the man, right? He also could schmooze management in the same way, right? And so it was really tough, apparently, you know, to work in week in and week out with that that sect. And so when when Nash and Hall and Hogan, um, so specifically, you know, the the Nash and Hogan dynamic um came into WWE, like those people uh overwhelmingly weren't on board. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't last very long. You know, even Hulk's nostalgia run ended up being cut short because then he wasn't going to lose to Shawn Michaels. 
You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, here he was in his fifties or whatever, and I'm not going to do a, uh, baby face match. I win, you win deal. Um, I'm going to go over on this one, brother, even though, you know, you still got four solid years and you work TV every week. And so I don't know, you know, it's, there, there is a precedent for you bring in the big stars and it doesn't work. And sometimes the best thing is to, to cut bait again, man, I hope that it all works. I really do. I, I never, I was, I told you, I missed the boat with him, with punk. But man, did he reel me the entire way in whenever he had that return. And I thought that he had the, the MJF dog collar match was incredible. And I thought that his match with Hangman was incredible. And I thought that the match where he finally then beat um, Moxley at the pay-per-view was all that stuff was great, man. And the dude finished that match with a torn tricep. There's a whole bunch of things that you can say to say like, wow, this guy is great. Um, but then, you know, to, to, not only sit there the way that he did next to his boss and just bury everything that was happening. Um, and then say, if you have a problem with it, come find me. And then you got found and then started throwing punches. Uh, you know, that's one thing. Uh, but the other thing is Amen that, that once, yeah. And then, and then the, the worst thing is, is that, so then rumors are I'm coming back. And so now I'm going to post these long cryptic stories on my Instagram page, burying the creative leading up to things and all like that, unless you're working something through management, which if you're doing that, man, I think it's a terrible idea. I just think that that's not the way to do business. No. Um, you know, if you're working through management, that way is one thing, but to me, it just, it seems it, it, really really seemed like you know babyish and it, it it i i know that he has the charisma to lure me back in but i'm i don't know i well, i don't know I, man I mean, tony tony khan's got a lot more self-restraint than i would have in that moment that's for sure and i'm not yeah. trying to talk tough and act like i'm some badass because i'm sure phil brooks would whoop my ass in the fight just probably tony khan probably kicked my ass too in a fight let's, let's be honest i mean you know here's the thing man like if for him to sit there and take that and to not lose his cool i think actually says a lot about khan um as a person too and i think that we, we don't want to we don't want to lose that it, it shows that he's not he's not somebody who is a jerk he's this is a good guy he's a good guy who does care about other people. Now, whether you agree with the, how his booking decisions or roster management or whatever, so be it. But this is a guy that is, is well-liked by virtually everybody. And, and for, for this, for this person who's got a precedent for acting like a jackass everywhere he's been, dude, if you want to leave, go work in fucking triple A. You want to go to triple A, go to triple A. You want to go, you want to go work in all Japan. I don't give a shit. If, but like, who cares, man, who cares? Because here, here's what it is. For me, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, as I've already said probably even way too much. The best predictor of future behavior is what? Past behavior. Past performance. Is the best yep. predictor of future behavior. And there, there you have it. Yeah, and, and you know, it, interesting to build off of that. So the GQ article that I read, the quotes were him burying the old guard. Right. These guys, they don't know what's going on. They don't talk to us and people walk on eggshells around them. So that wasn't good enough. He left. So then he literally went to a contemporary of his, you know, Tony's my age. So probably younger than him yeah. um, and uh, has a guy that is a people friendly boss 
that actually would get criticized for taking too much input from talent or said, whatever. He, let, me, let me cut in right and there. So, a, so a that people, was a problem. A people-friendly boss that to a guy that is a narcissist, egomaniac, full of himself, selfish, to, to, to a person like that, that people-friendly boss looks like an easy target. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's more 60 Ooh. seconds of Barry and Punk. <laughs> you mentioned somebody, you mentioned Kevin Nash, and I think that that is really fitting to tie us right into our Money in the Bank review. So, uh, and, and will, that'll all tie in at the end of this. So, uh, but yeah. I can, I, can, I, can, I can kick us off with this if you'd like. Go go yeah. ahead. If you want me to tee us off. So, um, so really quick, Money in the Bank was uh, it was uh, July. Uh, was it July seventeenth? I do believe that it was um, 2011. Uh, I have a couple of things here from the July 25th, 2011 Wrestling Observer newsletter um, from Observer readers. 394 thumbs up, zero thumbs down, zero thumbs in the middle. Best match almost unanimously was CM Punk versus John Cena, 394 votes. Coming in second, actually the only other one receiving votes was SmackDown's Money in the Bank, which I didn't even think was as good as Raw's, uh, but that one had 37. Um, worst match, overwhelmingly, Kelly Kelly versus Brie Bella, 336 uh, votes for worst match. Mark Henry Big Show was 15. Um, the show came to us from Allstate Arena in Chicago. Uh, at that point in time, let me let me see what here what Uncle Dave said about this show really quick. He had said um, that this was the uh one of the best pay-per-views that the wwe had done since canadian stampede um fascinating dude because that show was pretty good and we'll get into it but like i feel like that that show is nowhere on the level of recent shows like that the, and i guess that just goes to show how high the tides have come here recently uh -huh. um and i mean sh total shows that main event was out of this world but i mean the the total show um and then uh, let me see what I have here. Uh, so yeah, let, really quick to go off that. The Canadian Stampede was the closest comparison to the 717 Money in the Bank pay-per-view, one of the best pay-per-view events in, com in company history that ended with CM Punk winning the title and escaping through the crowd. Um, and then the next day, the WWE Board of Directors votes to remove Vince McMahon from power and put Triple H in charge with the idea that Vince had gotten old, made bad decisions, and the business must go on. Crazy how how we're we're here in uh, 2023, and uh, that was just a recurring storyline. And the last thing I want to say before we get into the show is that this marked the fifth consecutive year where Vince had written himself himself out of television uh, during, <laughs> during during the summer. So are you ready for this? So this was 2011. So um, in 2007, uh, Vince died when his car blew up. The angle was dropped whenever Benoit had killed himself and his family. Yeah. In 2008, the stage collapsed and fell on Vince, taking him out of commission. Um, there was a tease of who did it, and then they lost track, and the angle was forgotten about. In 2009, he sold Raw to Donald Trump um, after actually sending out a press release to the media and being so happy about it that the company's stock had dropped. Uh, they let go of that angle. 
And then the year before in 2010, uh, the Nexus beat Vince up and left him in a coma. He awoke from the coma in a comedy skit the night before election day with his wife, Linda, running for office. Um, mm -hmm. Although his waking up was supposed to be a bad dream of Stephanie McMahon. So five years in a row, they had uh, essentially killed Vince off. Boy, when you have revisionist history, I wonder why he needed all that time off. Woo. Yeah, man. Yep, that is that is a fascinating, fascinating look at things to say what was happening every summer, year after year, where Vince needed to go by, go bye bye for a little bit. Yeah, and so. Yeah, we're doing this 2011 Money in the Bank and a little snapshot, too, of what was going on in WWE. They had a really one of the lower end WrestleManias. WrestleMania 27 was earlier that year. It was not a great show. The highlight obviously being the Triple H versus Undertaker one. Uh, and then uh, Edge following that WrestleMania, the next night on Raw, he had to retire. And they had the Raw uh, Anonymous GM, which absolutely was the shits. I remember when I tuned in for that the first time because, like, I was not a, I was a casual uh, watcher back then. And this, everything that leads up to this show is kind of what got me my wheels turning a little bit. But WrestleMania 28 was whenever that fully got me invested back in. So everything that happened after this is really what kind of got me, kind of back into wanting to watch it again. Um. And, and and they did a fake Obama at Capital Punishment where this whole entire storyline with CM Punk starts. Fake Obama did a spin rooney in the ring. I didn't know that. I wish that I had gone and done a little bit of pre-search there because everything that I had looked up was in and around just this show. That is fascinating. He, he's, um, been, he's, been I, doing, I, he's been doing a spin rooney in my heart for, for 15 years. I, here's... Here's one more little nugget for you uh, that according according to the Observer uh, that Del Rio at one point was booked to end the night of cha as champion. Yeah, so the original I... plans were for him to come out there and win. That was going to be the third time that he was going to win the title that year. He was supposed to win it at Royal Rumble and then at WrestleMania. Well, wait until we get to that because there is a little bit of extra little drippings all over Del Rio uh, once we get to that Raw. That was terrible, what a, what terrible a great phraseology. Put, yeah. the, put the belt, put the belt on ADR, dude. Put the belt on him right now. <laughs> Do not put the yeah. belt. <laughs> yeah, dude, he climbed, he climbed to the top of that ladder and he took that briefcase and Rachel's like, so did they try to make him a thing? And I was like, oh, they, they tried to make him a thing, but he did. he's a, he's a bad man. Bad man. Allegedly, I guess. Yeah, allegedly. yeah, you know. Let, how about we, the, how about we the, bring in Alberto Del Rio to to take care of CM Punk if Punk gets out of, <laughs> out of line at some point here? Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, get a couple little uh, things before we get into the show. Uh, I listened to the Observer Radio that Alvarez and Dave did after this show. And they said that you could hear the crowd chanting CM Punk outside the building. That's how loud. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Oh, it was absolutely insane. So if you want to check it out on Peacock, absolutely fire it up. Because this show was actually really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed myself on the rewatch. Um, I, I the, the, Things get really kicked off here on this show with the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match. That had Sin Cara, Wade Barrett. Justin Gabriel, who is now PJ Black, who got absolutely zero pop in LA. 
Dude, I hey. wrote that down in my notes. I wrote that down in my notes. We saw him at a venue with 16 other people. And that dude, that dude was a WWE superstar for a long time. And he came out and no one gave a shit about PJ Black. And that's that's a shame. I, he looks, I, I like that guy. He looks like a homeless pirate. A quick question. So was it was it raw? Was was raw or smackdown was the first one? Smackdown. Was it SmackDown? Oh, okay, so then that makes sense as that I th- I had him confused. My fault. I thought that the SmackDown one was the second one. Then for that one to actually get votes for match of the night, that match was awesome. That opener was absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah that was a killer match. Uh, I had yeah. a couple notes with that one too. Like for, first thing I want to say about this whole show, just in general, like how how great the video quality is from them recording that when they did. I mean, that was I- dude. It looks like it just happened. It's that's unbelievable. Really, that's really great that you mentioned that because they just switched over to HD that year in 2011. Oh, yeah, it okay. looks it, it looks just incredible. Like you know, honestly, like all this stuff is basically all new for me watching this stuff from 2011 because I wasn't watching, and if I was watching, I was probably watching old stuff, you know. But I I I really love the Brinks trucks that they they had on the uh, entryway, and I the had screens, no idea that Jericho the, created the Money in the Bank. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that the screen was a briefcase too, which okay, was I really didn't see cool. That. Okay, the yeah. set was incredible. I absolutely agree. The set was incredible. They actually like took. It's like they actually have some creative minds, and it's not just the same videotron for the whole thing. Uh, but the other contestants uh, in this match, uh, it was Sincaro, Wade Barrett, Justin Gabriel, Sheamus, Cody Rhodes, Heath Slater, baby, Daniel Bryan, and Mayor Kane, and this match was absolutely incredible. I love this match. This was a really great opener. Um, the, some of the, the other notes that I have here, uh, we had a Nunzio sighting. Uh, he was a ref. I saw. But, I had that in my notes too. Yeah, I saw Nunzio. Uh, they had a really nasty ladder spot with uh, Sheamus and Kane uh, towards the end of the match. The 450 off the ladder was absolutely bonkers. Hashtag and, PJ Black. Hashtag PJ Black. And the other thing that really took me away with this, um, and and Cole, the, the the running theme throughout the show is how bad the announcing was. And I'm sure we'll get into it later on. But Michael Cole continuously said throughout this match how every time a winner has cashed in the money in the bank, they've always won the title. And it's just they they, they repeated it time and time again. And I, I thought that. This ladder match was incredible. This is a great opener, and I gave it a four. I gave it four stars. Uh, Booker T called uh, Gabriel just incredible in this match, so that was awesome. Um, the so the the two, the two things that I had written down were that and um, Daniel Bryan taking that Doomsday device uh, mm-hmm. and falling splat onto his cranium. Um, like that's, those are the kind of things where it really makes you go like, you know what I mean? Like, because, you know, obviously he's gonna, he's gonna have, uh, you know, head, head injuries and head issues for years and years after that. Um, I did really like the finish. I did not know that Brian was going to win this match, you know, came into here with totally fresh eyes. And, um, the fact that Cole called Daniel Bryan, like a nerd multiple times, Dude, was it was weird. it was too many times, and many they times. said he was going to be a member of Revenge of the Nerds or something like that. Yeah, it was it was weird, and it almost made me think, 
are they are they planting seeds for him to for him to do this and for them to lose their mind or whatever and that's kind of i guess what happened it was it was so many times that it it like stood out to me that like we're trying to get over that he's a nerd but like i don't know dude he didn't seem he worked really well seemed really over i that was strange but i'll tell you what man shouts to mayor kane that was i believe that that was his fifth money in the bank match at that point in time and for you to be a big aging ogre man and take those bumps and be that good of a base and to literally be a net positive in those matches and not somebody that takes away from it is like round of applause, man. Like I, I thought I didn't, he wasn't the MVP, but I really was impressed by that. I didn't I, expect I had to that see him. Too. Like Kane looked really good. I thought in this, yeah. match. that guy, he might have, he might have some of the most underrated punches in wrestling issue because he throws a hell of a punch that guy yeah, a work yes, punch yes. i really like the composition of the match i thought i thought that the, the guys that they put into the match was was really good you know I, like it, it i he slater has proven he can't get out of his own way you know with with his own character development and stuff like that but like you know he, he did he did fine in there in that match um i thought sin cara looked fantastic for, for the time that he was in there he looked like a million bucks in that in that match but the That's other the other issue mean. i wanted to ask you guys because you were more familiar with this era than what i was but were they were they trying to build barrett because it seemed like he got a lot in during this match but yeah, the that, thing the thing that was weird about him like why did it take him so long to set that ladder up from the out from the from the from the apron to the table it was like a really strange amount of time to do that I, so I think that he didn't know he was being, he was on camera. I think that he was just trying to buy time, but I think that was right after he had broken out of Nexus and they were trying to rocket strap him to get him to the next level out of that Nexus group. Yeah, he, he didn't look bad. I thought for, yeah. for a prospect, a guy that they were going to build, I thought he looked like a pretty damn good talent. Yeah. Was that, was that bad news at that point in time? No, not yet. I, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think it was pretty, okay. pretty bad. Bad news came a little bit later. Gotcha. Yeah, I tried to I tried to put him over to the wife a little bit because uh, we were watching together and she was and she was asking who some people were. Obviously, it was pretty neat that there were people that she was able to recognize. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Mrs. Mongoose, that's the guy that says, Cole, have you seen what they're doing here? Oh, my gosh, this is incredible. I've never seen something like this before. Cole. And she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, I'll just show you on Friday. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh and- yeah but to, to me to me really quick though to go back to you you said four stars john i uh, i'm always somebody that like i lean i always lean i guess more you know what i mean uh this was easy i if i was gonna guess i'd have said that that was a four and a quarter four and a four and a half uh uncle dave gave a four so you were right on line with uncle dave yeah, that the, this next match was the next two matches that we got here were definitely the low points of the show. Uh, they started off really high. They were booking it just like you should if you were booking on WWE 2K23 if you're doing Hot Shots Wrestling. So check those out in the archives. But <laughs> uh, I, two things I need to note here. The first one is that um, they did pan across, and we saw. Cole Cabana and Ace Steel in yes. the in the in the uh, front row, which then Punk daps up later on, which I thought was awesome. The, um, the perfect and, the perfect trios team doesn't exist. Yeah, they oh, also dude, Billy Billy Corgan was also. I was, I was literally going to say I missed Billy Corgan, but then I read that he was there, so I I must have missed him in all the scarves that he was wearing at that point in time, um, because I yeah I did not catch that Billy Corgan was there. Um, 
Can I can I read really quick what the the observer has about this Kelly Kelly match? Unless any of you have input as to how and good or how bad it was. I want I have some things. I wanted to say some positive things because I knew I was going to come in hot today. Okay. So let me say some positive things about this match. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. first off, a, a main event anywhere in the world, these two, right? We know that right away. So but okay, but look, Lawler popped me to the moon when he said about uh, Kelly Kelly rub her legs together and start a fire. Oh my god! I exploded laughing at that I, man. I did not. I did not hear that. Here, here's here's, here's the, what I've got. Honestly, I, I put I put a for effort. I put it was sloppy. Um, I, I honestly I don't know too much about Kelly Kelly's performer because like I said I wasn't really watching. I, I just I just knew that she was a hot girl in the WWE. That's all I knew at that point. But look, she's fearless, man. And and I thought that, that you know she was throwing her body around and, and really taking bumps. And that that bump she did from the apron to the floor where she landed smack on her on her you know belly and her face and her legs. I thought that was was really really good. Um, I thought Bree looked like a great prospect. Um, 12 years later, you know, we, we see women's, we see women's matches on NXT that are probably better than this, but you know, just to keep it in perspective, um, that would be like throwing somebody on a pay-per-view with very little training. And that's why I say that Brie looked like a pretty solid prospect. And, and honestly, it's, it's not be just because of her dad or because of Laurenitis and her mom. I really did think that if you look at, if you look at Brie Bella, just in that moment and look at Kelly, uh, Kelly Kelly, just in that moment too, with people who don't have much experience or any training to be thrown into that spot, a for effort. Mm -hmm. Dude, I'm, I'm glad you said that because when that match started, Mrs. Mongoose is like, who are these people? And then I said, Oh, you know, there's the, these are the girls from the total divas or whatever. And she, then she knew that did not know Kelly Kelly. And I was like, all right, honey, we might be in for a treat here because I don't, I don't think that this is going to be very good. You know, it was five minutes long. And when it was over, I was like, I literally said the words to her, you know, that was better than I expected it was going to be. Seriously, I would have given it, I would have given it a star, star and a quarter. It was, look, man, I lived through all of those lingerie matches and stuff like that, that were just, you know, literally just, uh, you know, whatever, 90 second waste of time where we're just trying to get, you know, cleavage onto the screen. Um, and these people looked like they were trying to have a match, which I thought was awesome. Um, Uncle Dave wasn't as kind, though. Uh, he definitely had said uh, he wrapped up his uh, his write up here worse than expected, even on their sliding scale dud. That's so give, that, that's I didn't, a, that's I didn't think it was a comment by him. Because I, he, I didn't, he of didn't all think people, it was either. He of all people should know that they weren't treating this seriously and they were throwing people into the ring without any kind of help. And that's yeah. a bullshit comment from my from my perspective. A lot of the things the things that he had written about complaining about the match were um to stop booking Kelly Kelly where she's running ropes um because she's not good at it yet. Um, there was a botched hurricane Rana spot. There was a clothesline. So I, yeah. And here's, here's the other thing too. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not here, Andretti. Um, but there, there are, there are a lot of those sort of pinup turned wrestler types. He was not kind to many, many times over the years. And I think that we are still getting that vitriol there. Um, through just to read that because I'm with you, man. That was to me. I seen duds. I didn't find. I didn't feel like that was a dud. I would have look, easily look, said here's, that here's, that's a star match. Here's what it is. You don't. You don't blame the dog because he's untrained. Yeah. And you blame yep, the dog because right. the owner's a piece of shit. You're right about that. Right. Yep. I'm, if we, I'm if we've you. got if we've got ten years 
of bad women's wrestling because people have no training and they're still thrown on a thrown on a pay-per-view where they're going to get going to get eviscerated by people like Dave or whoever else that's not their fault don't blame don't blame Eve Torres for that that's not her fault yeah definitely and then that <laughs> after we said all this about the women's match this segued into a strange match between Mark Henry and Big Show and I don't mind a match. We had a match with a 400 and 500 pound man. Yeah. That one is the biggest in the world. One's the strongest in the world. And they worked a rest hold halfway through. It was five minutes long. Dude, and they I found put, a way to, to pull a half crab and sweat for 35 seconds. I yeah. put this was a real slob or knocker. <laughs> Big I Show spent 70% of that match on his knees or on his back, dude. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, it was so bad. Him him screaming at, uh, in the post-match stuff, him selling that was awful. I he, sp- he spent he, he put sixty more minutes on the mat after the match was over. He was on there screaming. Look, I, I actually I feel bad for Vince. <laughs> this Vince McMahon tried to sign the Giant, who was awesome, and this is what we got for fifteen years. Yeah, yeah not good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just I the I, the rest that that crab because look, man, you can work a crab, and if you're Lance Storm, you make it look like it hurts. And right there, like just it, and look, they're big guys, so I guess it had a little bit. But like knowing that they're just working a crab because we're taking a break, like it might as well have been a chin lock, you know? I mean, I guess they were working the leg technically or whatever, but I don't know. It was. I thought that that was. I thought that was something. Um, the thing that I loved about this was at the beginning of the match after literally watching a money in the bank where there were legitimately men like killing each other with spots um that this is the match where booker t says somebody out of here somebody in this match is going to be seriously hurt and he says it like three or four times and then it culminates with um mark henry uh pilmanizing show's leg um and i was then i was like oh so Booker just knows the results and just wanted to look like he was a fortune teller. Like that's, that's literally all that that was is that he could say, see, I told you that was going to happen. Dude, Booker Booker T living proof that you don't get better with experience. Oh my. Yeah. So these, the, the, these, these two matches right here were for sure the lowest parts of the show. And they were clearly Dude, Dave and Dave said that this was the best pay-per-view in a long yeah. time. That's what was blo- like a mind blown to me is that like these, those matches don't exist today. No, they don't happen. They're on the it, pre-show. Yeah. Where they should be. But the next match is where the show, this is where the show picks back up and it starts. It It's, it's on a Epic rise to the peak here. Uh, really quick to do you want to talk about the uh, backstage segment? Yeah, it's because I do want to say that um, interesting that Vince says I've offered CM Punk the most lucrative contract in WWE history because, like, really? Yeah. Like, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't, I, I don't well, know. I mean, you offered I, hard. I, a, you offered hard a 25 year deal. So right. Well, like, <laughs> but I like to me to to really really like play this up and heal. I was I I was hoping the angle was going to be. Well, it, you know, he's he doesn't have the look. 
he doesn't have the whatever. So I offered him market value. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I wish that they would have, because there was so much, um, you know, like uh, insider stuff being ballyhooed around there. I wish that he would have literally embraced it there to be like, look, he, I, I, I offered him what I would offer any other, you know, poorly built, uh, you know, uh, uh, face pierced, uh, tattooed guy, you know, you know what I mean? Like to, for him to, to put over the fact that like, you don't look like my guy, I'm not going to, instead of saying, yeah, I offered to pay more than John Cena. What, what? Right. So I'm going to, once we get to the, once we get to the punk and Cena match, I'm going to lay out how, how they got there and why it's, and why it's so important and why this show was so important and why it is so big. So that definitely that definitely plays into it and once we once we get there i got i got a little extra notes on that too um but yeah that was i really like that they did that in the middle of the show and it really helped lead and build towards the end of it um but yeah th- this raw money in the bank match uh it had del rio kofi kingston jack swagger who is now jake hager in AEW. Uh, Evan Bourne, who is now Matt Seidel in AEW, our truth. Evan Bourne was great in this match. He was. Uh, our truth. Let me say so. I, I got to say it right now. I'm going to throw it in right now. Um, this is a shoot. I can't even tell you how many times over the years I told people that Evan Bourne was Matt Bourne's kid. <laughs> okay, dude. The names were spelled differently the entire time. While I was telling, dude, I thought that was a real thing. I made I made that up and convinced myself that that was real. I love that. That's fantastic. Just so you know, I guess uh, synchronicity in the universe. Uh, I told uh, John Baker and cousin Chiggs, uh, dead as a door now, serious that uh, Bobby Roode was Rick Roode's kid. Yeah. So I was, I was, and I was obviously very wrong about that one too. And it was this, it was the same thing is that, I don't know what made me, what made me think, but yeah, I I was very, very not right. Especially because Bobby Roode probably, Rick Roode would have been like nine whenever Bobby Roode was born and most, uh, you know, most likely. So I mean, would you, would you put it past Rick Roode to be slaying some rats at age nine? I mean, no, not with that mustache. Yeah, dude. So we've 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 we all have uh, you know mistakes with wrestler kids. Uh, yes, we had Evan Bourne, uh, R Truth, Alex Riley, who just started getting back into uh, getting back into the game. The Miz, a- uh, Pod's a- favorite. A Rye, they put up on Alex Riley's freaking Titan Tron, man. Yo, sucks. Yeah. Alex Riley sucks. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that was... so the final uh, the final entrant into this was Rey Mysterio. And the first note that I have here is that Alex Riley looks like Miz today if he was on the gas. Mrs. Mongoose. So uh literally Mrs. Mongoose said um like whenever whenever they had mentioned a protege of the Miz, and she looks and she's like, Where's the protege of the Miz? Because she thought that was the Miz, which is really funny. Um, so yeah, there's that, uh, look, man, I don't have many things written down here. Um, except that Evan Bourne was awesome. Um, I died and they got me, man. They got me with our truth coming in with that baby ladder. Cause he's scared of heights. 
yeah I'm sorry dude i know that it's i know that that him being a, a geek is you know people don't like it and they're sick of it and it's but he he does it for me man he's made me laugh for 25 years and i understand why he stays on tv because he apparently makes vince laugh too does it scare me that i have a little bit of the same sense of humor as vince mcmahon it does but I, you know what? It was it that was awesome. That 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 little baby ladder being in there just cracked me up, dude. It really did. I, I am I am so glad you said that because I this is one of the notes I wrote down how much I love Ron Killings, man. I mean, he he is absolutely one of the best talents that never gets discussed. I mean, that guy had a hell of a career for himself. I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add Ron Killings retrospective to the to the Google Potsky operation sheet because I think that's a guy that has an uh, has an awesome career man that we could cover that would be a lot of fun well the interesting yeah, note here about stuff right out of the gate was awesome if you remember when we were, when we were buying those tna shows i mean i want to i wanted to review i want to review that whole show because that 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 would probably be a tooth and nail thing because that was me and you watching that yep. show that that him and shamrock that first tna show yep. that'd be a yep. good one to go back and review well, the interesting note here about uh, our truth is that in the previous show before money in the bank was capital punishment and our truth was in the main event for the world title with John Cena. So that was a really interesting note too. So he was, he was around here. Um, I, I really, I loved, uh, I loved this one. I gave this a four and a half star. I gave us a big rating. Cause this one was the better one to me. Um, the, I have a doc Samson, uh, sighting as well. Whenever they came out for the Miz. Yeah, that was huge. I noticed the same thing is that yeah. he came out and worked on the Miz's knee. <laughs> The um the thing that I liked the, so the first the SmackDown Money in the Bank was all about spots and trying to outdo each other to get to the Money in the Bank. This one was all about strategy and everyone starting in the ring with the ladders and util everyone utilized a ladder to do something in the match, which I really really liked. And I thought that everything made sense. They all fought for the belt or the briefcase. And them booing Mysterio, I thought was wild because Rey Mysterio never got booed, but they absolutely booed and they gave the huge pop for the Miz and then Alberto Del Rio wins. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to the Miz for hitting Ray with the wrong end of the ladder. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, I was, I, I, it was, it was feeling like bizarro world where they do the, because obviously when he goes down, and he's getting worked, looked at, and he's screaming, and they're showing him screaming. You know it's worked. You know what I'm saying? Like because whenever it's not, the camera comes off and everything. So I'm thinking, I'm like, is the freaking Miz gonna do the the hobble down spot, right? And I'll be damned that as that match is crescendoing, that crowd explodes. And I'll give Mike Mizanin credit, dude, because he one-footed it the whole way down the ramp and he one-footed it the whole way up the ladder. I couldn't do that. And I give I give him credit for that because that was an impressive feat. But I was I felt like I was just, it was like an alternate timeline where he got an explosion pop for coming back from yeah. the the work knee injury. Yeah. You know, the, the other the only other note I had, I actually I had two. Um that when Swagger fell was was pretty scary that was a really scary yes. thing to see yes you're right about that and i actually I, I didn't write that down but that stuck out to me huge and the other thing that i had written down that was just a spot that i thought was awesome 
um, and incredibly like the the percentage of you know pulling this off couldn't have been high was when Kofi did like a jumping like uranagi ish kick ish from one ladder and swung his leg onto the not a uh, um, not a uranagi oh forgive me what's the one what's the move that Owen used to do all the time insiguri. Oh. Insiguri, thank you. Um, so that like the like an insiguri-ish kind of you know sweeping kick or whatever, uh, booted dude off the ladder and like landed prone. Like I thought that that was really really awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, that was I thought that, that was a really really like you know a, a spot that none no no time that you have a dude falling off a ladder is this going to be safe. Um, but one that wasn't like you know getting power bombed onto a ladder bridge or whatever like we had in the first match. Um, but was one that was like it had a big wild wow factor to it. I thought that that was my that was probably my favorite spot in the match. The the only other thing I had written down for this was that I thought that in that moment, Cody Rhodes and Evan Bourne would have probably worked really well as a tag team. That's the only other note I had. Yeah, I I would agree. The 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 note that I have here about this and Del Rio winning is that Del Rio on the Raw before this show. Del Rio won a number one contendership in a triple threat match. So not only was he now the number one contender from the previous week, he also was the money in the bank winner. So uh, there's some illogical booking that he's like, like, just give him a title shot if you're going to give it to him. Like, good Lord. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, um, and, and to wrap this one up, um, the Dave has the finish wasn't a climax or anything, but this was still a hell of a match. Three and three quarter star. I would have given this one four. I would have told you I'd have given the other one four and a half easy. Uh, I, to me, I thought this was not as good, but still very good. Um, but this is also at a point in time where we weren't just de- dealing off five star matches, you know, all over the place. So, you know, there's there's that too. Three and three quarters in 2011 is easily a, a four star match now. I, I, I mean, I, the lowest I would have probably done is I, I thought the match was really good too, but I probably would have would have went like three and three fourths. It was the lowest that I would have probably yeah. gone with it. Yeah, that's, that's it was great. great. It was it was great. It was good. Yeah, and then uh, we get to our. Uh, semi-main event, we have Randy Orton versus Christian, and I don't have a lot for this match other than uh, I, I have another sighting. Rick Knox was in the video package as Randy Orton's lawyer in the contract signing. Uh, I thought that was a great find by myself. You know, I did, that didn't even register. I thought the lawyer looked familiar. I That didn't even register. When they, when they got out of the you. car, I thought he looked familiar too, but I couldn't place who it was. Good yeah. job by you, man. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I was really confused by how the title uh, switched on a DQ. I felt like that wasn't told very clearly, either that or I wasn't paying attention enough, but um, the crowd was hot for Orton, and the toughest uh, announcer table in the business showed up for that one, too. Uh, How how good does Randy Orton look with big gold? Oh, gosh, this is good. Yeah, that def- there definitely was an I am the table spot there. Um, so the the reason for that, the the because uh, I did a little bit of digging um, observer wise to sort of make sense of everything, just like you said. So the pre-match show, the pre-match uh, package, we saw Christian lost the title because his foot was under the rope. There was bad officiating. And so that was part of his gripe. 
Um, so then he had Rick Knox come in and uh, write into his contract that if there was poor officiating or a disqualification that Orton would lose the match. Um, and you know, essentially that was the, what, what was written in the observer was essentially that this was a way to get a title change to keep this going and then not be Randy Orton, who at that time was one of the most protected people in the company as he would be for the next couple of years after that. Um, but one note that was in the observer that I actually noticed that I thought was really cool is that the crowd, when there was a bullshit finish, actually bought it. Like it, it was over. It was over huge. Like they were reacting crazy and, and in a really good way. You know what I mean? Like they didn't lose the crowd on that one. It really fed into them. And I don't know if this was the part of the plan or not, or if somebody got on a headset and said, Randy, get back out there and give him another one. But when he went back down to give him that second RKO through the table, they were melting, man. That crowd was going absolutely nuts. And so I thought that that was really cool. Um, Dave gave this one uh, three and three quarters. I thought that was fair. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I gave it as well. Three and three quarters. So, wow. Look at me and Dave on the same page here. Look, if you if you want to make Christian a champion, I, I agree with that. But if you're going to flip a major belt, why do it in such a chicken shit way, man? Just just let him beat him. Who cares? I'm with you. And that was literally the, the thing, the thing that I read was basically that this was a way to do it, to keep the feud going and to not beat, beat Orton, but to, but to you, not man. beat Orton, but you, you want, you want Christian as your champ. So why isn't the focus on him as a, as the first, as a first time champion, don't you want to have him win a, win a big match over an established guy? It just seemed chicken shit. Right. Yeah, I I'm with you, dude. I am with you there. I absolutely agree. But we're here, we're at the main event, and this is where I want to lay out kind of how we got there and the importance of this and why it was so important. Um, so this all, the, the whole CM Punk is leaving the company with the WWE belt. It's teased throughout the show, and it all started at Capital Punishment where they did a backstage interview with CM Punk with his match with Rey Mysterio. He said, after I beat Mysterio, I'm going to do the most honest thing the WWE universe has ever seen. And this was on the heels of news breaking that CM Punk was going to not resign with WWE. So it, there was kind of some speculation that CM Punk was going to leave and now he's going to get this title shot. Um, but Punk comes out that next night after Capital Punishment and he's claiming that he's the number one contender and he wants his match at Money in the Bank. The anonymous Raw GM pops in and says that CM Punk has to win a triple threat match between Alberto Del Rio, Rey Mysterio at the end of the match or at the end of Raw. Obviously, Punk wins. He earns his shot to face John Cena at Money in the Bank. So. The next Raw, he announces that he's going to Money in the Bank. He's going to face John Cena. However, it will be the last day of his contract. So now they're starting to bring storyline and real life together. They're blurring the lines of real life and fake life here. And he says, once the clock strikes midnight, I'm out and I'm taking the belt with me. 
So that's where this whole, the, everything starts, the the tides are turning here, and, and we're forming a real big storyline here. So the following week on Raw, uh, this is three weeks in now, CM Punk, uh, he has a match with Kane, it ends in a count out, kind of like goes away, uh, and then at the end of the show, R-Truth has a tables match with uh, John Cena, CM Punk interferes and R-Truth wins. And while John Cena is laying in the ring, it's when the infamous pipe bomb happens. So if you're on, we're going to clip this. We're going to clip it in right now. John Cena, while you, you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company. And I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that if they're just that, they're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. 
I'm not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be. And trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th, and hell, who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Cole Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's gonna make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing, nonsensical yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's gonna tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead. But the fact is, it's, it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Can we do this whole bully camp? This pipe bomb, the infamous pipe bomb, it, it, it's, it lives on forever. It's the infamous pipe bomb. Everyone knows it. It's what got a lot of people back in to wrestling. And it, Vince comes out and, you know, the, the following week and, you know, he says really, that. Really, really, quick, really quick, John, did you rewatch the pipe bomb? I did. So what did you think? And, and I don't mean that you're doing a great job with the summary. And, and so I don't mean to totally derail you. You're good. 15 seconds. What did you, what'd you think? I thought it was kind of ironic and very, it just, the whole thing felt ironic. I literally felt the same way in that I, 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 it was interesting how things that were being said are obviously, they were obviously um, warts that, were on the company and management for a long time that again, you nothing gets said in that company without being pre-approved. Yes. You know, this this is a guy that, you know, that that will that won't let anybody else blade in his mat in their matches, um, but'll cut his head open or will tell Kevin Owens, even after he's been told never to take a bump again. Headbutt me as hard as you can in the head so I could bleed all over the place. So like 
you know, Vince is the worker of all workers. And yeah. so obviously, you know, whatever, whatever was put through here was put through on purpose. And then just, I just hearing, hearing it all, I can absolutely see the, oh my God factor 11 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever. But yeah, man, it was just, it was, it was just really interesting that he then does, he does it for real yeah. 11 years later, eating a muffin. Yes. <laughs> like that's what, yeah, that was literally where I was, was right. that like, here you're doing it for the showmanship and adoration and everything of the crowd. And then you do it like for real, just eating a muffin. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it, go ahead. I, thought I, it just, I just wanted to, I, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to hear what your thoughts were. And, and the really interesting part about the pipe bomb is how they did it. So the pipe bomb was executed in the overrun of Raw. So they're all the overrun is obviously it was after 11 p.m. It can cut off at any point in time. And it ends with them cutting the mic off of him and he has no more airtime. I thought that was really smart. And that's what made it feel real and made it feel like a shoot. So, um, the next week, they Vince came out after the pipe bomb, suspended Punk, and his match was off with Money in the Bank with Cena. Cena comes out and he does the whole hoorah, you know, I, we're going to have this match. And eventually, Vince gives in with the stipulation that if Cena loses, he's fired. So uh, now we are one week away. We're on the go-home show of uh, Money in the Bank on Raw. CM Punk comes back and he does the infamous, do I have everyone's attention? That's where he gets his catchphrase from that he used for years on end after. Uh, he announces that he wants to do the first ever live contract negotiations on Raw. Uh, Cena interrupts him and they go back and forth in a really good banter. Everyone should check that out. It's it's on YouTube. Um, the end of the show has the contract segment. Uh, CM Punk only wants three things out of this contract negotiation. He wants to headline WrestleMania. He wants his ice cream and he wants Vince to say, he's sorry for everything he's ever done. And he only got one of those things and it had to come in AEW with the ice cream bar. <laughs> um, and Cena comes down and they do a final uh, stare down. Everyone should check out that on YouTube. You can find it really easily. So you just look it up. So the, the stage is set that CM Punk is going to win that belt. He's going to leave the company because his contract ends at midnight. And once it happens, you know, he, cause he's going to take that belt wherever he wants. And it, it, it was the perfect storm of a storyline where it was the blurred lines of work and shoot. And it's probably the best thing that WWE had done up to that point since stone cold. And it's probably, it's the best thing that they have done, you know, prior to probably the bloodline in terms of generating buzz for a match. And I just, the, the build to this is really quick, but it's really well executed. So I am so glad that that was your uh, stick, your, your, your um, stick the landing there. Great job, by the way, that was a really, really good rundown. You. Um, so you left off at that. That was the best thing that they had done for a long time. So here's the problem is that in the same way that Yeslemania gets over because all they did was beat Daniel Bryan for two years. And then finally the people were like, enough of this, like 
we're only going to cheer him, cheer him, and force you to put the belt on him. Then they said, well, the way to get baby faces over is just beat them mercilessly over and over again. I feel like Tony has taken this too far with the being a child of the 90s Pillman storyline and then obviously being a huge punk fan before because he wanted punk from the inception of the company. So obviously this storyline matters. And that's where I that Instagram nonsense comes into play. Because I I I think that it's I think that doing this kind of stuff all the time is bad. Yes. And I think that it was such a big deal because it was so new and so different. Um, but then almost I don't want to say turning it into a trope, but you know what I mean? Like they did it with MJF and then they, you know, they're doing it sort of, they did it sort of again with punk like that. The whole work shoot thing, I think is, I, I think it's bad. I think it's just a bad idea. I think it's bad for everybody involved. It makes it look like at the very least, like your talent doesn't want to work there or, or it makes it look like your management is in some way or shape uh, uh, incompetent. And I think that those are two bad things, but this is awesome. But I did, but I did want to just put the the allegory to today. The and and this is the impetus of the Yeslemania because the fans were clearly choosing sides and they really thought that it was real. And the one thing that I thought was really interesting too to think about is that if this doesn't happen, you probably don't get a Daniel Bryan moment at WrestleMania 30, which was like two years later. So, um, yeah, there there's. And to put this all into perspective, too, for this match, like this match got the first star five star rating and like in an insane amount of time for WWE. And it was the last five star match rating that Meltzer gave any WWE match up until 2018 or 18, 17 or 18 with the NXT TakeOver match with Gargano and it was just so it's so good they literally blurred, they blurred the lines they did really well job of blurring the lines between real and fake and they capitalized on it and there's and you know we talked about this a lot in earlier this year where you only get so many moments and this is like one of the moments that they got right I, I might be wrong, John, but I think that it's the first five-star match since Hell in a Cell 97. You're correct. I, I Yeah, I, I think that it's the first five-star match. And now the, the crime in that is that um, the uh, Sean Triple H from SummerSlam 2002 was a five-star match. Absolutely. Sean and The Undertaker, one and two are five-star. It's it's criminal that that Sean and The Undertaker don't get five stars, and this one did. Um, the reason that I'm assuming this one did more so than that is the uh, the crowd. Obviously, the crowd really, really helped here. But look, man, this is, this is 33 minutes of funk man so we got our 60 seconds of punk this is 33 minutes of, of funk this is awesome the this was worked insanely well the fact that it starts off they're chanting you can't wrestle and punk's doing that like me me yeah. or him him oh him him like i thought that that was great cena played his role absolutely perfect man he didn't try to he didn't try to play heel he just didn't play super cena 
So I thought that like, I really thought that that was next level, man. I was like, wow. So like, you're not going to go into your Shawn Michaels mind games. I need to get dirty because they hate me. You yes. just know that you, you're you not the good guy. So you're just going to keep fighting. Um, the three things that I have for this were um, the first one, uh, I actually uh, highlighted this from the observer. Uh, I missed it in lifetime. And then I read this and laughed out loud. Um, Cena took punk down and punk put Cena in a guard. Cole then announced that punk had Cena in an Anaconda vice. Yes. The freaking guard was called the Anaconda vice made worse that at the finish punk actually used the Anaconda vice and Cole had no clue what it was. So that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> I did note uh, also two other side things. It was funny that they still were talking about Brett trying to leave with that belt in 97, even though by that time it was completely disproved that that was what the case was, but they were still putting that over. Um, and then Jerry Lawler, right after the crowd was cheering, um, let's go Cena. Like there was a literal, you know, a, a sect of people. Jerry Lawler goes, I don't think that there's one John Cena fan in this whole building. Not only did they just get done chanting, let's go Cena, there is a dude in full Cena gimmick mock-up sitting in card cam right in the front row. Um, so that just like slapped me in the face of what are we doing here? And are you guys even watching? Um, but the dude, the match was awesome. Their their near their near falls, some of the counters out of the they did one that was an AA countered into a GTS countered. Uh, I thought that that was great. Um I think Cena might have seriously got hurt on that uh, cross body or whatever, because yeah. like he didn't keep selling his leg. So like that really made me think that that was one of those like, oof, you know, but he was able to to work on through it. Um, and then I really thought that uh, it was obviously it's it's old for them trying to recreate the screw job deal. But the fact that they weren't able to do that. I found some solace in that. Like, okay, so so you know, you 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 made us, you swerved us into thinking that that's the way it was going to go. Also, I read that uh, Cena Cena potatoed uh, Laronitis for real on that, and it got over huge with the boys backstage. So yeah. I thought that that was great. Um, but yeah, man, I thought that this was this was as good as a WWE. Oh, also, and I mentioned this before, um, uh, Punk dapping up Cole Cabana was great in the middle of that match. Yeah, huge, Cole Cabana, huge. A Steel, and Billy Corgan all sitting ringside was yep. the, the only the only thing I put down was it was a hell of a match, and I knew the outcome, and I still rooted for Cena the whole time. Wow, my daughter, my daughter was big in the bag for Cena. I if I had told her that Punk was going to win, she wouldn't have watched it. Uh, so I had to I had to you know let her think that Cena had a chance the whole time. Um, but dude, Cena worked his ass off he like did. he did, and. And um, the only thing that was also annoying about the commentary was how many times they'd mentioned that Cena didn't even look tired. And it's like, dude, he's purple. Like yeah. he's screaming for air right now uh, because like it, they, you know, they worked. It's not like they were in there and just going chin lock, chin lock the whole time. Like they were out and about and all over the place. Um, but yeah, dude, I thought that that was absolutely awesome. Um, also uh, you, your whole diatribe before there, Andretti, the last thing that I had highlighted from the newsletter that I wanted to point out to you, um, that Cole quoted Gorilla Monsoon saying, if you're not in this business to be champion, you're in the wrong business, um, actually is a misquote because the Gorilla line is, if you're not in this business to make money, you're in the wrong business because Gorilla hated people who were in wrestling to gratify their egos, not get business. And I thought that that was a, 
interesting bow to tie on this on this little uh that's this little that's an excellent an, i'm so glad you found that i'm so glad you found that that's awesome wow yeah, yeah. dude gorilla is a real one man a, a gorilla, a gorilla monster, people... another guy cm punk would try to find a reason to hate without question he would oh say that he was God. old guard and he did and that he uh, didn't know what the young people he doesn't wanted. get it he doesn't get it yep yep last thing um john you'd already mentioned five-star match this is more than a great match. This is a career-making moment. Five stars was the last thing that was written down here, which it was, man. I, I It was pretty cool that I got to pause to show my family, like, I know you guys don't care, but, like, this blow in the kiss thing, this is iconic, man. This is going to be on video packages and stuff for 60 years. Yeah. So it's absolutely the star making moment for him, the the blow kiss. And, and, and whenever Del Rio comes down to cash in, you absolutely think that yes. Del Rio is going to win. And yes. he did. And I thought that that yes. was masterfully done. And to tie it all and wrap this up in a bow is that all of this was done to lead to Punk leaving technically in storyline, comes back to face Kevin Nash in the summer of Punk. And the summer of Punk was killed dead with Kevin Nash coming back. So that's how we tie Kevin Nash back in. And isn't that crazy? Uh-huh. Aren't you? You are right. Uh, two notes for after uh, that I did not know that I found out. Um, the first one is that uh, uh, the next day, um, CM Punk went to a Chicago Cubs game with the belt. Yep. Um, and one of the announcers had said that he looks awfully small to be a heavyweight. And then the announcers then buried wrestling for being fake uh, for a little bit. Um, so that sort of worked against them. How many, um, sca how many scandals have they had? <laughs> yeah really well dude they had a, a billy goat curse them for uh god only knows how long so you know if you're in the goat business you're in the wrong business that's if what it, I have if to it say takes about you that. 150 years to put lights on your stadium i don't want to hear anybody complaining about anything else <laughs> bada boom bada boom um and then also i did not know that they did a they that all they did was just do a mid carter tournament for the belt the next the next day or on raw that's so WWE. Man, that it is so WWE. They're so good. And that's why that's what makes this bloodline thing so fascinating is because I have waited forever for them to just have, you know, Jimmy and Jay come out there riding tricycles, um, you know, or, or getting out of a clown car or whatever. Uh, and they haven't done it yet. So but yeah, that is that is our money in the bank 2011 review. Uh, we absolutely encourage all of you to fire that up on your Peacock this weekend uh, and check that out before CM Punk makes his return at Collision. Uh, make sure that you check out uh, Tooth and Nail from last week. That was episode one. We're going to have more uh, of that coming around once uh, Andretti gets uh, moved into his new pit stall. And uh, make sure you check out uh, the Vanderpump Rules stuff. That's not done yet. We got one more week of that. We got uh, next week, we got more uh hot shots wrestling alliance coming back and then after that we're we're off and running for the rest of the summer here so uh make sure you check all that out and uh thank you both for being on the show ski and uh we will see you next time on the pod ski